Good morning, church. Thank you for the introduction, Chris. I kind of an honor to be here with you today. Uh, as Chris mentioned, I, I, I said this in the first service, and I'm glad he mentioned it here. I am first and foremost a follower of Jesus, and that is uh, the identity from which everything else flows. And and uh, I am uh, honored to be married to my wife, Amy, and, our, and, and we have four beautiful daughters, as Chris mentioned, uh, Lily, Addie, Karis, and Amelie. And so I am so thankful to be here with you today. And uh, as, as Chris mentioned, we are we are heading to Boston uh, to plant a church, and we're going to be leaving in July. And uh, this has not been something that has been arrived at uh, quickly or with haste. Uh, this is something that we have waited upon and spent nearly two and a half years praying through and seeking counsel and asking the Lord what he has for us. But uh, the problem with that is that I am not good at waiting. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm fairly impatient. I always have been. I was the kid who was always tapping his foot, waiting for the next thing to happen. I couldn't wait to grow up and be an adult. And then I had to start paying bills. And uh, I kind of wish I could go back. Um, I'm incredibly impatient when we're sitting in traffic. And, uh, and, and I'm reminded that I'm a sinner. Probably, many of you could probably identify with that. Because we are terrible at waiting. Uh, in fact, a few years ago, the Houston airport noticed this when they kept getting complaints about the long wait at the baggage claim. And they were doing some studies and some, some folks at the airport discovered that the industry average was an eight-minute wait time at the baggage claim. So they said, well, let's solve this problem. So they decided to hire more baggage claim workers. But to their surprise, the complaints didn't stop. The baggage claim time was about the same. And they were kind of confused until one day an executive found that the average walk time from the terminal to the baggage claim was only about a minute. Which meant that people were standing around the baggage claim waiting for the conveyor belt to start moving for about seven minutes. And they were doing nothing. And so the solution was just increase the walk time from the terminal to the baggage claim. And do you know what happened to the complaints? They went away because the people just needed something to do. See, we correlate waiting with idleness because we think that we're doing nothing. And that's probably why it would surprise us when we look at the Great Commission that Jesus' first command in the Great Commission is not go But wait, in Luke's account of the Great Commission, Jesus said, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power From on high, Jesus told the disciples to wait. Before they went, they were told to wait. And we are told to do the same thing when it comes to the Great Commission, that there is something we must do before we go, that we must wait. And that's important because our waiting is not doing nothing Much like the disciples, we are waiting for something specific. If you look at Acts chapter 1, what did the church do prior to Pentecost? They prayed. 
We are called to pray in our waiting before our going. See, Acts 2 Pentecost happened because of Acts 1 prayer. In fact, Oswald Chambers says that prayer is the greater work. Martin Luther said that he had too much to do in his day for the Lord not to pray two to three hours per day. So yes, let us go, but also let us pray. Let us pray before and during our mission endeavors. This morning we're going to read Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is our sermon text. And we're going to see three reasons that we are called to pray directly from this text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is giving his final instructions to the church before he ascends. And he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. From this text, we see three reasons that we are called to pray for missions. The first is that missions requires prayer or power. We must pray because missions requires power. The context of what we see here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is that Jesus is about to ascend. His earthly ministry is completed. He has come. He has died upon the cross. He's risen again. And now he is giving over his ministry to the disciples. He's handing over the keys to the kingdom. And this is a really big task. This is something that is not going to be easy. And for me, if I'm in Jesus' shoes, I'm going to be a little bit worried because I'm not exactly working with the a team. I'm working with fishermen and tax collectors. I mean, this is the equivalent of like Bible college dropouts. Like this is not the A team that you would imagine would be taking the, the keys to the kingdom and advancing the ministry of Jesus. But Jesus here in Acts 1 verse 8 gives them everything that they need. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. He's telling the disciples, you are going to fulfill this mission because I'm going to give you everything that you need to do it. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit empowers us for the work of missions. We will fulfill the Great Commission by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is important. Why? Because the Great Commission is impossible in our own strength. What we are called to do by Jesus is humanly impossible. We're talking about dead people coming to life in Christ. We're talking about those who were once lost being found in Christ. This is something that can only be done by the power of God. We can have all the money in the world. We can have the best plans. We can have the best strategies. We can have the best trained preachers and missionaries. But if we attempt to do so outside the power of God, we will fail. It'd be kind of like trying to mow the Everglades with a pushreel mower. I don't know if you've ever tried to use a pushreel mower. It is a miserable experience. A few years ago, one of my neighbors 
noticed that, uh, that our, our, our lawnmower was broken. And then this neighbor, he, he could you know, import from Woodstock. And, and uh, he, he doesn't believe in using gas-powered uh, uh, tools. And so he said, well, Stephen, I have a lawnmower that you can borrow. And it was a push-reel mower. And after about five minutes, I was praying for something that was powered by gas. <laughs> because it was a miserable experience. We cannot do the work of God without the power of God. Jeff Vanderstel is a pastor in uh, in Tacoma, Washington at a church called Soma. And he said in the early days of Soma, their kind of their banner verse was John 20, 21. And the phrase that as the father has sent me, I send you. And they were seeing some incredible things being done. They were seeing people come to faith in Jesus, people coming out of addiction, families being restored. But they said at the end of that first year, everybody was just exhausted. They were running themselves ragged. And he said as he went back to study that verse and kind of figure out what they were doing wrong, he said he noticed that he missed the first part of the verse where Jesus said, peace be with you. See, in the Great Commission, Jesus first says, all authority has been given to me. And then he bookends the Great Commission by saying, and I will be with you to the end of the age. In giving us the Holy Spirit, we are sent with the authority and the power and the presence of Jesus to help us sustain the Great Commission. There are several ways that the Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit gives us power by deepening our love for Jesus. Understanding that we have been loved by God. That God gave us His own Son. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the Holy Spirit seeks to deepen our love for Christ, which propels us towards missions. The Holy Spirit gives us power by convicting us to go. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul said that he was sent not only in word, but in power. That God had sent him in power. And also the Holy Spirit gives us power by making our words effective. If we're going to achieve long-lasting missional impact, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. A.J. Gordon was speaking to the student volunteer movement, a movement that lasted well over a 100 years. He said these words in the late 1800s. He was talking about how if we want to have an impact that goes beyond our lifetime, then we're going to need the Holy Spirit. He said, now, dear friends, all missionary success at home or abroad depends upon the Holy Ghost. I say it deliberately. The personal preparation of the Holy Spirit is the greatest need in our ministry in this country and in foreign lands. If we are going to fulfill the Great Commission, it is going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to pray for the Spirit to empower our missionaries and our church planners and to work in the hearts of those who don't yet know Christ. So we pray because missions requires Power. Secondly, we pray because missions requires proclamation. We see here in the middle of verse 8, the result of the Holy Spirit empowering us for missions is that you will be my witnesses. So power moves towards proclamation. Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses, not someone else. You. He says, you and I are the ones who are to proclaim. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I read that and I think, who, me? I'm the one you want to be your witness? 
And I'm sure the disciples probably felt the same way. They're going, who, me? I mean, certainly Jesus meant somebody who was much more eloquent. Someone who was much more polished. Somebody who had a better education. Someone who had a better track record. Somebody who was better looking. Somebody who was more winsome. Somebody who could get the job done. But the Great Commission will be fulfilled by ordinary people like you and me. God is not looking for rock stars. He's looking for obedient people. And that's why the local church is vital to missions. Because we are the ones who have been entrusted to be Jesus' witnesses. The local church is the only entity on the face of the planet that Jesus said would be would withstand the gates of hell. That we are witnesses. What is a witness? A witness is someone who has seen something so amazing that they can't help but talk about it. Think of something that was so incredible that you just couldn't keep that news to yourself. For me, I, I, I think back to when I first became a father. I'm the, the dad of four children, but when we had our first I was just blown away at how much I could love someone that I had just met. And I wanted everybody to know. I was calling every relative and every friend. And I'm like, this beautiful baby. There has never been a baby more beautiful in the world. No offense to any of you parents. But there had never been a baby more beautiful than this one baby. Never been something that I loved so much. I was like ready to run out in the streets and just yell, I am a dad. And I've gotten to enjoy that every time I've had a child. It was news that was just too good to keep to myself. Think back to Peter and John before the Sanhedrin and their witnesses. And the Sanhedrin is trying to censor them and tell them not to speak about Jesus. And they're saying, how can we not tell others about Christ? John said in his letter, First John, he said, we've heard him. And we've seen him and we've touched him and we know that life comes from him. We are to be witnesses. John Piper says that there's no salvation without the witness of a man or woman to Jesus Christ. You and I are an indispensable link in the chain of redemption. We proclaim because we've been compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been compelled by what Jesus has done for you and I, that Jesus Christ came, He, God became man, taking on flesh, that He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live, that Jesus Christ was obedient to the Father, that He was completely submissive, that He went to a cross and died a death that He did not deserve, paying the penalty of our sins so that we could be justified and stand righteous before the Father. And then He rose again, giving us new life. This is the best news that you will ever hear. And what compels us to go is that we think, wait a minute, there are people who haven't heard this good news. How can I not tell them? The burden to go is that others have not heard. Our call to Boston really comes down to the fact that there are people who don't know Jesus. 
And as my wife and I heard the statistic that less than 3% of people in greater Boston know Jesus Christ as Lord, we're driving back 18 hours from Boston with our kids in the back of the van. We're crying, we're, we're praying, we're seeking the Lord, we're, we're thinking about leaving friends and family, and we're saying, how can we not go? What keeps missionaries with the International Mission Board on the mission field going back to dangerous and dark places is that they have been compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This news is just too good to keep to ourselves. And every believer plays a part as a witness because every member of the church has received this good news as a steward. And so we need to be praying for the proclamation of God's word. Praying for more witnesses to go. Praying for more missionaries and church planners to be sent into dark places. Praying for those who are in those places who don't yet know Christ to be receptive to the gospel. And also praying for how we can personally be involved in the Great Commission. How is God calling you to give, to go above and beyond your tithes and offerings to fund the work of the International Mission Board and the the North American Mission Board? Or if we're going, how is God calling you to go? So we pray because missions requires power. We pray because missions requires proclamation. Lastly, we pray because missions requires a plan. So praying gives us power, it calls us to proclaim, and it helps us narrow in on a plan. When we think about what's being asked of us here in Acts 1-8, this is a massive calling, and we need to be able to narrow that down a bit so that the local church can take an active part in the Great Commission. See, the goal here is that the gospel would go to the nations, it would go to to the ends of the earth. But this seems kind of crazy if you're one of the disciples hearing this because you're hearing, okay, I want you to go be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And so the disciples are thinking, wait a minute, Jesus, they just crucified you there. You want us to go to Judea? They rejected you. You want us to go to Samaria? Those are half-breeds who rejected God's covenant. You want us to go to the ends of the earth? You mean Gentiles are going to get in on this too? And Jesus' answer is yes. Because the Great Commission is about God's glory expanding to every corner of creation. Habakkuk 2 verse 14 tells us, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This means that there's not a place on earth where the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot go. It means that every trailer park and every high-rise needs the gospel. It means that every rural town and every major city, every dark and difficult place where logic would tell us there is no way that these people would trust Jesus Christ, we believe that light has overcome the darkness. The Great Commission is about seeing people from every tribe and tongue and nation glorify God. We have a big task ahead of us, and that's why we need a plan to do our part in the Great Commission. And I believe this can be accomplished in two ways. Firstly, by making it personal. By going narrow and deep through relationships to make a long-lasting impact. And I'm so thankful for you, Meadowbrook, and for your support and your prayers as we go. And I pray that you would continue to pray for us as we go.
by knowing the names of missionaries. As we were sitting in the Sunday school hour hearing from three missionaries expressing their hearts, it makes it personal for us. This isn't just a, a name on a prayer card. We're looking at people, flesh and blood, looking in their eyes and hearing how God is working in them, hearing their struggles and their challenges, and also seeing the victories and the way that God is bringing himself glory. So making it personal. And secondly, through partnerships. Through partnerships, we can be a part of something bigger than ourselves. That's why I'm such a big fan of the cooperative program that, that Chris mentioned. Through the cooperative program, churches across the United States, through the, through the work of the Southern Baptist Convention, pool money and, and send that money to the International Mission Board and to the North American Mission Board. And collectively, we can do more than we could do by ourselves. Partnership is what allows the local church to reach our context, our own Jerusalem. I don't think that Jesus started with Jerusalem by accident. What about our own Jerusalem? Through the work of this church, the local church on mission, every believer on mission to our neighbors and co-workers and friends. And I pray that you would be partnering in that way. To Judea and Samaria, I'm thankful for the work of the North American Mission Board, which we are a part of, to plant churches all across the country, but particularly in the 32 send cities across North America, some of the least reached places in the world. And then partnering together to go to the ends of the earth, to the International Mission Board, and through personal connections to missionaries who go into dark places with the hope of Jesus Christ. We pray because we need a plan. And so my question and my challenge for you this morning is, will you pray? As we kick off this missions conference and this mission emphasis, the impetus for us, the the drive for us would be to start by going, but will we start by praying? Will you pray for how God intends to use you through the work of this local church to fulfill the Great Commission? And so this morning I ask you to pray for several things. Pray for God's power. Pray for God to empower missionaries and church planters, people who are going and leaving home and going to places that are foreign to them. Pray for God to empower them and give them words of life. Pray for God to open the hearts of those who are to hear the word that they would receive it. Pray for a broken heart. Pray that God would break your heart for the lostness of your neighbors. Pray that God would give you a heart for a particular city in our country. I selfishly ask you to make that Boston. But pray that God would break you for the lostness of these cities and that you would begin to pray for the churches and the church plants in those places. Pray for a broken heart for a particular people group. Pray for how much God would want you to give above and beyond to go towards missions. And then lastly, pray for a call to missions. Maybe for you this is just a renewed focus locally upon your neighborhood and your friends and your coworkers that God would give you a heart for them. Or maybe this is the year that God's calling you to short-term missions. Maybe you need to get involved with one of the trips that Meadowbrook is going on this year. Or maybe God's been stirring in you for a while a call to the mission field. The call to church planning. See, we've been given the power 
We are the witnesses who proclaim. We have a plan. Now will you pray and will you go? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you've loved us so deeply and so dearly. That, Lord, we are to be a missional people because you are a missional God. That you have pursued us. That while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. That you sent your Son to a world that was broken by sin. That was irredeemable without you. And so, God, you are, you are the first missionary. You sent your Son to us. And so as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus, you send us. And so, God, let us take that seriously. Let us pray for your power. Let us pray that you would empower your church to do the work of the Great Commission, that we would proclaim the gospel until you come, that we would plan and strategize and do whatever we can to send and mobilize missionaries to the furthest corners of the world, that your glory would fill the earth. And God, I pray and thank you for this church and its commitment to the Great Commission. Lord, work in us, shape us, Deepen our love for you. Lord, convict us of our sin and help us live our lives to your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen.